0: Today, I'm going to be talking about counting the cost of following Jesus, counting the cost of following Jesus. At the begin, we want to answer the question, really, what does it mean to follow Jesus? In Jesus' day, it meant to literally follow him. I mean, he was walking along the dusty roads in Palestine. When he said, follow me, that's what he meant. He meant just stop what you're doing and start walking after me. Let's walk down the road together. And that's what his disciples did. They followed him. Well, today Jesus is no longer with us. He's in heaven. So how do we follow Jesus today? We don't have a man walking down the road or driving the car, whatever he do today. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, to follow Jesus begins by believing in him. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. Where Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so, to follow Jesus is to believe in him. To believe in Jesus means much more than simply to believe that he lived 2,000 years ago. To believe in Jesus means much more than to actually believe he was the son of God. To believe in Jesus is to entrust your life to Him. To believe in Jesus is to acknowledge Him as the Lord, the captain, the commander, the boss of your life. He calls the shots, and you simply do what He tells you to do. Jesus taught His disciples, and of course, us. The things that He taught His disciples are the things He teaches us. Because if you're a believer today, you are a disciple. In the year 2022. He taught his disciples to embrace three marks or experiences as they followed him. Now we've already talked about the first one. It's to believe in Jesus. To believe in Jesus to forgive your sins. To believe in Jesus to save you by faith alone. Putting your faith, your trust, your belief in him. So now let's move on to the next two marks of following Jesus. Jesus told us in Matthew 28, verse 19, these verses often referred to as the Great Commission, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so this verse gives us the second mark that a disciple or follower of Jesus Mark of a follower or disciple of Jesus. A disciple, a follower of Jesus, is to be water baptized after believing. Jesus here is commanding it. You need to be water baptized after you have become a believer. Not only is water baptism commanded by Jesus, part of following Jesus is to do the things that he did. And you'll recall, if you've read it, if you haven't read it, you won't recall, but John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And so Jesus gave us an example that we are to be baptized as well as we follow his example. And so that's another part of following Jesus. We follow his example. We do the things that he did. And so baptism, water baptism for followers of Jesus is not optional it's commanded by Jesus. And what's often called you know, infant baptism is, a, is actually not spoken of in Scripture. It's, it's not biblical baptism. It's with an infant. The parents are essentially dedicating their infant to the Lord. But biblical baptism is baptism after someone has believed in Jesus. Not necessarily as an adult. It can be a child. Someone that has made a commitment to follow Jesus. They understand that commitment, and they choose to follow Jesus in baptism. Again, on October 30th, we have a baptism, and the it's going to be at our, at, uh, our sister church, West County Assembly of God, where we have our baptisms on every fifth Sunday, and uh, we have it reserved. It's all set up there, and uh, it's going to be in the afternoon at... Uh, actually beginning at 1.30 p.m. So I believe that, is that in the bulletin already? I don't know if the times are in the bulletin or not, but that's when it's going to be. We'll make sure you know next Sunday as well. So if you have not been baptized, it's not too late. Just let me know. Uh, Give me a call, send me an email, a text, or talk to me after the service, and we'll get you signed up as well. Well, let's talk about the third mark of a follower of Jesus Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 49, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now we know, we don't have time to go into all the scriptures. We know what the promise of the Father is. The promise of the Father was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It gives the new believer the power they need to follow Jesus to follow Jesus and to do the things that he is calling you to do. The disciples were commanded not to go out on their mission in life, the mission that Jesus had given them to make disciples of all nations until they received this power, until the Holy Spirit came upon them and anointed them. And so the first 120 uh, disciples followed Jesus' instruction. They waited in an upper room. They began to pray and ask God for the promise of the Father, ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And on the day of Pentecost, God answered their prayers, and the Holy Spirit began to be poured out on those who were seeking after Him, seeking the Holy Spirit. And we read this continued throughout the book of Acts. We see many examples of people praying, seeking God, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now thinking about Jesus' example again. This is an overlooked example of Jesus. What happened when Jesus was baptized in water at the baptism of John? When John baptized him. Well, the Holy Spirit descended on him. It came from heaven like a dove, anointed him with the power to carry out his mission in life, And that serves as an example for us as well. Jesus' ministry did not start until the Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him to carry out his mission. And the same is true for us today. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon us to be able to carry out the things that God is calling us to do. That's the third mark of the follower of Jesus. And if you want to learn more about Spirit baptism, we have a book out on the table called Power for Life. I'd encourage you to pick it up if you haven't already and you'll learn a lot more about it. So these three marks, faith in Jesus, becoming a believer, water baptism and spirit baptism, are really God's initiation of a person into being a disciple or follower of Jesus. Those are the things that we need to follow Him. They're God's way of preparing us to carry out His mission in their lives. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning. The last part of the great commission. In Matthew 28.20. He says that we are to teach them. The disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in water. And teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold I am with you always. To the very end of the age. And so a follower of Jesus is someone. Not only who has these three Marks is seeking God for those three marks in their lives and obeying. They're following all the rest of Jesus' instructions, which, of course, is what we talk about Sunday after Sunday. There's a lot of instructions by Jesus, but we have a heart to obey everything that Jesus is calling us to do. So this morning, let's talk more about the cost, counting the cost of following Jesus. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're now in Luke chapter 14. And the principle we're going to look at this morning is we should have no excuses to God's invitations. So Jesus begins by telling a story in verse 16, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything now is ready. Now to understand this story and we'll, we'll continue in this story in a minute, we have to understand how banquets worked in Jesus' day. I mean, it's really quite similar to how a banquet works today. The master, the one who was hosting the banquet, would send out an invitation to his, the guest that he wanted to come. He did this quite in advance of the banquet so they could make plans to come when the banquet held. Now, when they received this invitation, they had a choice. They could either accept the invitation or they could say, no, I'm not coming. And so, it's like an RSVP today. And the reason for it was so the host could prepare the banquet. He would know how many people were actually going to come. And finally, on the day of the banquet, a messenger would be sent out and saying, today, it's today. Hope you didn't forget. You've accepted the invitation. Uh, Please come. Come. Today, we're giving you this final reminder. And so it would be considered very rude to not actually come to the banquet when you had already given your RSVP, you had already said you were going to come uh, when the invitation first went out. And so we have to understand as we're going on with this that uh, this servant who gave this instruction, now come for everything is ready, Uh, The people had already accepted the invitation. But what happened was not what the servant or the host expected. Verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife therefore I cannot come and so surprisingly everyone this servant went to who had already accepted the invitation had excuses excuses is how they did not or why they could not come to the banquet now when I look at these excuses a little more closely they seem ridiculous to me Uh, when you buy a field when do you examine a field I mean, you examine your field before you buy it, right? Or you're not going to buy it. So why would you now have to examine it after you've already bought it? The same thing with the yoke of oxen. You examine these oxen to make sure they're not feeble or lame or sick or something before you buy them. Not afterwards. And the whole deal with the wife. um, I mean, this was not years before they were invited to the banquet. It was probably a few weeks or something before And he didn't know he was going to get married in this time. That doesn't make any sense either. And so these kind of excuses to not come to this lavish free banquet really make no sense. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And so the master, the host of the banquet, became angry. I mean, he had invited all these people. They said they were going to come, but now they weren't. He had all the preparations made, and he wanted people to enjoy this banquet. And so he directed his servant to go out to throughout the city and invite What it says here, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. These were people who perhaps had never been invited to a banquet before. Surely they would come to the banquet. They were in great need, probably hungry, in need of food, in need of healing. And that's what he did. And many of these accepted the invitation and decided to come. And the servant said in verse 22, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So after the servant went out and invited the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, there was still room in the banquet. It was not full. The banquet hall was not full. And so he went outside the city to the highways and hedges. You know, who lived in the highways and hedges outside the city? These were the outcasts. Perhaps these were the lepers. These were the homeless people. These were the bottom of the barrel, we might say. I mean, it's not a good term, but uh, people who really had nothing in life. And this servant was to compel them to come to the banquet. Now, in the Greek language, this word for compel is a very strong word. It means to put pressure on. It means to force. It means to urge. It means to insist. Now, obviously, the people still could say no. But why why was he to compel people to come in so that the banquet would be filled. So that every seat would be filled with somebody to enjoy this banquet. So the banquet would be complete. And the master concludes that none of those men who were invited at the beginning would taste the banquet. There would be no second chances. They had turned down the invitation. And so, when God invites us, we should not make excuses, no excuses to God's invitation. So let's unpack this parable to see what it means for us today. The host of the banquet, the master, represents God. The banquet represents, in one sense, the great supper that believers will eat with God in eternity. It's spoken of in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. But we might also say that the banquet represents the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is from everlasting. We can begin to experience God's kingdom in this life and we'll experience it fully in eternity. The first group of people that God invited or the master invited, they all said we want to come. If you take a poll today and say "How how many people want to go to heaven? It's in the high 90s, right? Unless they don't believe in heaven, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. How many people think they're going to hell? It's like, 1% maybe, less than 1%. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. It would include people who feel that they're going to heaven because perhaps they were baptized as an infant. Perhaps they believe in God. Perhaps they go to church occasionally. Or maybe they go to church regularly. And that's why they think that they're going to heaven. And yet, when the call comes by God to them to participate in the banquet, to come to the banquet, to participate in the kingdom of God, they, they begin to make excuses. Now, the excuses that the people made in the story, they were not sins. You know, It was like, no, I'm going to do something really bad. I mean, it was an okay thing to examine some oxen or to examine a field or to be with your newly married spouse. Those were not sins per se. But those excuses show that the people valued those things more than coming to the banquet. They valued those things in life, their possessions, their relationships, more than the kingdom of God more than putting the kingdom first in their life. And so the question we must ask ourselves this morning, are Are we like in any way those in that first group? Do we make excuses when God calls us to participate in his kingdom? Do we make excuses when God tells us the way he desires for us to live our lives? Next group is the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And those people didn't have much in the way of worldly value in their life. And so they gladly gave it up. We don't see any of those, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, giving excuses. They came and accepted the blessings of the kingdom. They wanted to be in this banquet. And so the story makes it clear these three groups of people that were invited, that the invitation to the banquet, the invitation to the kingdom of God, goes out to everyone. Everyone on the face of this planet has received an invitation to believe in God, to believe in Jesus. And we could explain that more and more, but that is what the Bible teaches. And those who are the least in this world, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, those who have the most needs are the most receptive to the invitation to the kingdom of God, to the invitation to believe in Jesus. And that's been proven over and over again in our world. And those who accept God's invitation then become His servants. That's part of accepting the invitation of the king. You you now become the servant of the king. You serve Him. You do what He tells you to do. And so that servant in the story is, is actually an example of what we are to be like as servants of the King. And so God calls each of us as followers of Jesus to invite everyone to the banquet, to invite everyone that we know to enter the kingdom, to be witnesses for Jesus. If some are reluctant, we must compel them to come in. We must insist, we must put pressure on, we must urge, we must force everyone to come to the banquet. Now why would we do that? Why would we be so insistent that people need to come to the banquet, that people need to believe in Jesus? Why? why? Because a person's eternal destiny is at stake. Where they are going to spend eternity? Is it going to be in heaven or hell? Those are the only two options. Suppose you saw someone at the top of a bridge and they were threatening to jump, commit suicide. And you were in the area and you wanted to save their life. And so you begin to talk to them. You've been to insist. You've been to give them reasons. You wouldn't stop until you had talked them down off that bridge because their life was at stake. You would compel them to change their minds. You would do everything you could to save their life. And so when we understand the consequences of someone not believing and spending eternity apart from God in eternal torment, it gives us the impetus to compel them to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And so may God help us to have no excuses to God's invitation to put His kingdom first in our life. And we would be God's servants to invite others as well. Jesus goes on, the second principle today, and I only have two today. Unusual message. It's usually three if you count. Uh, following Jesus costs everything. Verse 26 If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus now continues with his teaching to tell that if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you everything. Following Jesus is going to come before your family and keeping your own life. Our devotion to Jesus should be so much greater, so much higher than our devotion to our family, it might appear to be hate. Now, of course, we know from The rest of scripture, Jesus is exaggerating here the use of the word hate to make his point. We know from many other scriptures we are to love our families. But suppose your family member is drawing you away from obeying Jesus. Suppose your family member is not on board and perhaps not a believer. Where does your allegiance lie? Does it lie with Jesus or does it lie with your family member? Jesus is calling us that our first allegiance is to him and our family comes second, in fact, so much lower that there's almost there is no comparison. To bear your own cross is to die to yourself. A cross is a symbol of death. To die to your plans, to die to your desires. in order to follow Jesus. Jesus then gives a couple of stories to illustrate this. Verse 28, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all will see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So Jesus gives this example of somebody who's going to build a tower. And before he begins, the same is true today, you have to make plans. Today we have engineers, I guess they probably had, I don't know what they called them back then, but they had people who planned, made plans to build a tower. You had to figure out what raw materials, what building stones you needed, and how much that was going to cost. Did you have the money, the resources to buy all the things, and then to hire the laborers to actually build this tower? And of course, if, You didn't do your plans carefully, and the tower only got halfway up before your money ran out. Everybody would laugh at you. Sometimes that even happens today. You see, unfinished buildings. They started, they didn't count the cost, and they were not able to finish, and it is a a sad situation. And Jesus is saying, those who choose to follow me must count the cost before making the commitment. And what is the cost? The cost is 100% commitment, as we'll see, for the rest of your life. It's going to cost you everything to follow Jesus. The next illustration, verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate? Whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against you with 20,000. And if not... While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So this second example is a king going into battle against another king, another army. And if the king doesn't count the cost, if he does not evaluate how strong the enemy is, in this case, a two-to-one advantage, uh, he's going to end up with certain defeat. Uh, It's going to be a tragic loss. And so... If he is coming against a stronger foe, he would do well to send out a delegation and say, hey, let's make peace. I don't really want to fight you. Let's figure out an agreement so we don't have to go to war. Now, as I was reading this, I I was thinking that, you know, each one of us, each one of us is like A king of our own lives before we meet Jesus. We are the one who calls the shots. We are the king of our lives. And Jesus, the King of Kings, is infinitely stronger than we are. He's got far more power. And so we meet this King of Kings. And we have to decide, are we going to fight him? If we do, there's going to be a terrible loss. If we fight Jesus, the king of kings, and we don't make peace with him, we're going to end up eternally destroyed. The worst possible defeat there is. And so the only rational decision when we see Jesus, the king of kings, is to... Surrender. Give up. I submit my life to you. I'm no longer going to be the king of my life. You're going to be the king of my life. I surrender. I make peace with you under your terms. Again, the alternative is to suffer eternal loss. And so Jesus concludes in verse 33, So therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So in order to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to give up everything that you have. And when you give up everything that you have, it doesn't necessarily mean that you sell everything and become absolutely broke living on the street. It means that you give everything you have to Jesus to use as He desires. We become stewards of His resources. So everything that you have, everything that we have as a believer, now, we're just using it for him. We only do, we only spend our money the way he directs. We only, well, we gonna go many examples, but we use the things that we have uh, for Jesus. To hold on to anything for your use alone, this is mine, I'm going to do what I want, is not permitted as a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. The last little illustration is in verse 34. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in this last example, the salt represents a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And uh, we add flavoring. You know, salt is a flavoring agent. It's a preservative as well. In the world around us, we bring God's flavor to our world. We preserve the world. I mean, if there were no believers in the world, this, this world would imploded eons ago. In Jesus' day, salt was taken from the Dead Sea. It wasn't, you know, Martin's pure, well, with a little iodine in or whatever they put in it, you know, sodium chloride. It was mixed in with a lot of insoluble minerals, And so if that salt in Jesus' day got some water and it washed away the pure salt, the pure salt dissolved, you would be left with this insoluble mineral there, which uh, was good for absolutely nothing, no use at all. And so a follower of Jesus must remain salty. A follower of Jesus must be different from the world because God calls us to influence the world. If we let God's salt in us be washed away, become just like the world, no different than the world, and we don't fulfill our purpose in the world. And so a disciple must count the cost and give up everything to Jesus. So let's think about our lives today. What is God calling you to give to him as a disciple of Jesus? Could be all kinds of things. Is it a secret sin that no one knows except you? And you're holding on to it and you don't want to give up? You don't want to give it up? Or is it something good? It's not, perhaps, you don't consider it a sin, but it's keeping you from spending time with Jesus. Or maybe it's a relationship that, in this relationship, that person is pulling you away from Jesus rather than toward him. Or maybe Jesus is calling you to do something for him, And you don't want to do it for one reason or another. You know God's calling you to do it, but you don't want to do it. Or you think you can't do it for some reason, even though He's calling you to do it. Perhaps some of you, He's calling you to give up your worries, your fears of doing what He's calling you to do and trust Him that if He calls you to do it, He's going to take care of it. I think if each of us is honest with ourselves, we could think of something God is calling us to do that we're resisting. We're not giving in. For some, it might be repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Jesus. You're starting to realize it's going to cost everything. Perhaps you thought you were a believer, but you really haven't given up everything to God, and I don't know if I can do that. For others, you may never have been water baptized since believing. It's like, I know lots of people who haven't. It must be okay. But Jesus is calling you to be water baptized if you have become a believer. For others, you may never have been spirit baptized. And you may not be seeking it. But God is calling you to seek after his gifts. Today, God is calling you to give up everything to Jesus. Jesus. And I know what is coming into some of your heads, what comes into my head, as excuses. And these excuses, just like the people in the parable, they don't come from God. The excuses come from the enemy. It's like why these excuses are why you can't do what God is calling you to do. And so God is calling you to discard these excuses. They're not from God. Put them out of your mind. And tell God, I'm going to do everything you're calling me to do. I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. And then get specific with him in any areas of your life that you haven't surrendered fully to him. And ask for his forgiveness. Because not surrendering to God is sin and needs forgiveness. And give God thanks that he's inviting you to his banquet. That he's inviting you to be part of his kingdom to take up your cross, to follow Him, that you might have life to the full in this life and for eternity. So let's talk about the first step. The first step to becoming a believer, becoming a disciple, is simply to, first of all, repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from your plans for your life. And believe in Jesus. Submit your life to Him as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to pray right now. I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads. If You never prayed a prayer like this before, or today you want to recommit your life to him. Perhaps you didn't fully realize really what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, that it meant giving up everything. And today you want to make that commitment. So let's pray. Pray along with me something like this. Father, today I repent. I turn away from my plans for my life. I turn away from my dreams, my desires for my own life. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross, that I might be forgiven. Come into my life. I believe you're alive. You rose from the dead. And I submit my life to you as my Lord. I will obey everything you call me to do. I will lay down everything for you. I will give you everything that you've entrusted to me. And let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for calling us to be your disciples. We thank you for calling us to be your followers. We thank you for these Things you're calling us to do to believe in you, God, to be water baptized, to be spirit baptized so that we would have the power to follow your direction for our lives. May we have no excuses, God, to the things that you're calling us to. Forgive us for the times we've argued with your spirit and said, no, I can't do that. No, it's too hard. No, it's not going to work for me. We repent of giving you excuses and not... Responding to your invitation. Thank you for teaching us this morning. That following you costs everything. Forgive us for thinking that. We could have you. And have something else. Apart from you. We repent of. The secret places in our lives. That. We haven't allowed you into. This morning we. Open up every room, every door in our hearts that you would come in and clean up. That you would have everything that you've given us, we would give back to you. To be used by you for your kingdom and your purposes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.